Hey, Vsauce, Michael here. But what exactly is here? Welcome, everybody, to what's probably our most exciting episode yet. We have just finished up interviewing two representatives from Chucklefish Games about their upcoming project titled Wargroove. Chucklefish, if you didn't know, are an indie games company probably most known for Stardew Valley and Starbound, two very good games, may I add, plus some others like Pocket Rumble on the Switch. Um, so, so there are a variety of reasons why we thought that this would be such an excellent idea for the podcast, um, but something I really want to hit home to everyone listening right now, and I'm probably going to say the exact same words later in the podcast, so sorry, but this is such a magical time right now because the people that are creating games, whether they're indie or big time, are from the same generation mainly millennials, um, as us. Um, They have had the same inspirations as us. And how incredible is it that they're taking our values, our inspirations, what modern life is like um, in this day and age, and putting them into games. They're getting out there and they're creating content, new content that's for us. So I think it's really important to support indie game and new game developers, Um, and you should too. So that was part of the reason why we wanted to interview Katie and Jay today um, from Wargroove and Chucklefish, just because isn't that incredible to think about? It makes me really happy. So some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, you're a Fire Emblem podcast. What does this have to do with anything? And I'd like to explain our reasoning a little bit. Well, basically, our thought process was like this. Wargroove just seems like a modern-day fusion of Fire Emblem and Advance Wars. And if you're a fan of Fire Emblem, I think there's a big chance that you are or could easily be a fan of Advance Wars if you learned about the series. And so this game is just so similar. I just thought it was so perfect for us to talk about, you know. It's got this really cool fantasy aesthetic and neat cast of characters, and Claire and I are just so excited for this game that we felt that it would be perfect, and either if you already were excited or knew about this game, or if you had no idea what this game was about, you'd be able to enjoy this episode, so that's basically what we were thinking. Plus, this game is looking to come out before Fire Emblem Three Houses, so if you're looking to scratch that turn-based itch, I'd say check this game out. Before we jump into the interview, a little note here because we know all the comments were going to be about this if we didn't mention it. I got a extension cord for my microphone off of Amazon.com for $10. And guess what? The um, cord itself uh, wasn't quite the right size to fit into the back of my microphone. So about 10 minutes in, I'm going to start making weird noises when I'm talking. It's annoying, and I know it is, but... um, I say some good stuff in this interview, I think I do. So, if you could get over that, it won't happen again. Thank you very much for your patience, and um, sorry about that. So, without further ado, let's cut to our interview with Jay and Katie of Chucklefish Games. 
So hello everyone, we just did our introduction and now we're here with Jay and Katie from Chucklefish working on Wargroove. So if you two would like to introduce yourselves and then we'll get into the uh, questions that we have from both Chris and I as well as from our viewers. Hey, yeah, I'm uh, Katie, I'm the marketing and community person here at Chucklefish. Um, I've only joined recently actually, I've been here for about five months-ish now. Oh. Um, so a lot has happened in that time. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I kind of work on both like our in-house games, like Wargroove and Witchbrook and Starbound, as well as like our published titles. So I help doing like, a lot of the published stuff. I'm Jay. Uh, I'm an artist and writer and designer here at Chucklefish. I've been involved with Starbound for quite some time, which is our previously developed game. And then I've been working the past couple of years on Wargroove. Uh, and your own game. Oh, I have my own game as well. Uh, it's oh, really? called Lenders Inception <laughs> that I work with my colleague Tom, which is kind of like a Zelda homage, and it's been in development for quite some time because we do it in our spare time. Oh, that's really cool. I've been stalking around on your Twitter, and I saw all of your <laughs> tweets. I was like, oh, I want to talk with him about Zelda. He knows his stuff. So that's really <laughs> yes. cool. I'll definitely check that out. Oh, great. Thanks. It's kind of like a, a spooky take on Zelda. Isn't it's it? what if Zelda went horribly wrong? Yes. <laughs> That's interesting. So, um, Katie, it definitely seems like you've been at Chucklefish forever. So congrats on the new position. Ah, That's excellent. Thanks. That must be like a great dream job. It seems so chill over at Chucklefish. You guys look like you're having a good time. Oh, everyone is so lovely and friendly. It's a really small company, too. There's only like 18 of us. Is there 18? Um, I, I think so. 18 or 19. Yeah, but not all of us are even in the office. Like yeah. um, Tom, who also is on our marketing team and publishing team, he's over in Canada as mm -hmm. well. So mm. it's like it's a small, small place, which I think helps like the kind of friendly atmosphere. Like everyone really knows each other well. Like we do lots of social stuff together. Like sometimes we just like hang out after hours and watch movies or like play board <sighs> games and stuff. So it's That's it's awesome. a really nice environment. I came from like a an agency background. I used to work with. Uh, PlayStation and doing like their big events like uh, mm -hmm. E3 and Paris Games Week and stuff. So it's a kind of like totally different vibe, like going from like a really high pressure environment to like there's still a lot of like deadlines and timings and stuff to keep to here. But it's like just such a friendly, like nice place. You're, you're all so nice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Jay is looking at me like, yeah, I guess that's what a lot of these new companies are like because, you know, we're growing up in a time where we're the new creators. We decide what the new normal is. So creating these wonderful, calming environments in the workplace, you know, we get to decide what's going on. And um, I think it's working out for the best. Mm. Yeah, it's like, it's quite like a nice, relaxed atmosphere, even though we're at that time in the development of Wargroove when it's like, you know, it's, it's getting really close now. Like, there's a lot to be done, but, you know, we're so far. It's that yeah. kind of key moment. Mm. And yet it's very, like, civilized still, isn't it? Like, <laughs> no one's screaming, no one's crying. Like, it's, We're too busy to cry. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but, like, it's, you know, it's definitely a good, like, working atmosphere. I don't, how long have you been here, Jay? Um, physically in the office? I've been involved with Shogglefish <laughs> since, like, 2012. Um, oh. And I joined the office... Uh, in 2014 when it started. It's up around a while. Since you've been at Chucklefish for so long, then you're probably the best equipped to talk about what exactly were the origins of Wargroove. Like, you know, when did this start and how did it get here? 
Um, so around the time we finished uh, Starbound, which was about like the mid-2016, mm-hmm. we were kind of looking at other projects that we were interested in making. And one of the things that had been brought up is that like several of us in the office really like Advance Wars and we were very surprised that no one had made a new game kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of surprising. There was a, there was a common trend of kind of uh, indie spiritual sequels. Um, Stardew Valley, which we published, is a good example of a game that's kind of spiritually in line with games like Rune Factory and Harvest Moon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of something we kind of got interested in, like putting a pitch together and kind of presenting the team with, hey, we're interested in making a game like this. You have to convince everyone else that we think it would sell as well and it would be fun to work on. It wasn't originally meant to be a huge project, but then as these things tend to go, it uh, kind of grew in scope as we got more excited for it and found new ways we can kind of revitalize that genre. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, when we first pitched it, we did have several different aesthetics in mind. Uh, Lou worked on some of the... uh, Lou was... um, one of the artists uh, who sadly couldn't be on the podcast because she's sick. Um, but she had several aesthetics that she mocked up. So there's some early mock-ups floating around on the internet where Wargroove has kind of like an Advance Wars uh, look with um, kind of tanks. Um, I think we experimented with a game where everyone is dogs at the same point. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Don't tell them that. No, I think <laughs> we, we landed, <laughs> the dogs seem to be the... fan favorites. Yeah, definitely. Gosh, yeah. Um, we landed on the kind of fantasy look for a few reasons. Um, I think it separates it a bit more from Advance Wars. And I think also crucially, Advance Wars is an old game now. It's from like an earlier time. And I think a game where modern warfare is really fun feels a bit more antiquated than it did in 2002. Yeah. Um, so I think making it a bit more fantasy, uh, we felt a bit better about that. And also I think we felt like we probably just enjoyed making it more. Coming up with kind of like the different unit types, like, you know, what is a quick and fast, what's a powerful unit in regards to like a strategy game where everything is like fantasy creatures and uh, knights with spears and so on. That was a fun kind of task. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of how it all came came together. Um, Yeah, it's been in development pretty much since middle of 2016. Early on, there was just like a smaller team. We kind of ramped up development since then. So I see that Katie just sent us an early concept image. Would this be okay for us to put up on the screen during the video while it's oh, playing? Oh yeah, totally. I'm YouTube, pretty sure that's what have you. You found that on Google, right? I literally now. just googled Wargrove, and it was <laughs> it comes up really, really high actually in the search thing, which is probably bad. It's I think to have an old screenshot so high up. It's so. extremely old, but actually, if you notice, the mountains and the trees are the same as they are now, and the dogs yeah. are a little bit different. So you know, some that's things like remain since the very first art mockups, which is mm. interesting. But I think it's cool to see where it's how it's developed in a way, and how it kind of captures its own style more. Um, you know, the fantasy setting and stuff. But... Oh, yeah, we've done our own kind of interesting spin, so I don't think it quite looks like anything in particular. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, at least. I mean, I'm saying that I'm saying it from a very biased point of view, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that's something we're aiming for, at least. Personally, from a cosplayer's perspective, uh, I'd much rather, you know, while I definitely do play games that are set in a modern time and watch anime and read manga from modern time, it's much more fun and I think much more creative character design wise to go in a fantasy aesthetic um, as well as it just being more fun to cosplay. 
If I'm looking yeah. at Sigrid, she's my favorite. <laughs> I want to cosplay her really bad, just yes. looking at her. She's a lot of people's favorite. She has yes. a lot of fans. She's the best girl. Pre-release community. Yeah, she's the best girl. <laughs> she's officially. so cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think one thing we were interested in is definitely focusing on characters. Uh, coming from our previous game, Starbound, which is more about the worlds are the things and the environments are the things that take center stage um, mm-hmm. rather than individual characters because it isn't really a game focused on kind of heavy characterization. So that was something we were interested in and also we, we felt like it would be more interesting to kind of sell. People like attaching themselves to characters. People like finding characters they can cosplay and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't actually do that in like a modern day fantasy setting, setting because like if you look at like fantasy kind of fiction like a single individual can turn the tide of battle you can imagine like a powerful wizard and so on but then a single soldier in a modern day warfare setting doesn't really do anything mm-hmm. so going with that focus on character made a lot more sense with the kind of fantasy aesthetic yeah fantasy just allows you to be so much more like inventive and interesting and just you can literally do like a what if game to yourself and be like well could they well anything's possible really and it's just whether or not it fits in your law like <laughs> yeah. and and how much we can stretch like get the rest of the team to agree with whatever weird thing we want yeah, to do when you create the internal logic of the game you can be a bit wilder i guess yeah and what's so wonderful is thanks to all of the customization features that you've implemented into Wargroove, like the creating of the cutscenes, the creating of the maps, all of that, players can create their own stories, which is something I kind of forgot about in games. I forgot that <laughs> sometimes they would let you do that. And mm-hmm. I remember as a kid, that was my favorite thing, to input myself into the story, to create my own stories and maps. And now I'm realizing just how much I missed it. I'm very excited about that part of the game. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping we get some cool stuff with it. I guess with the custom creation, it's very much... If we didn't make characters that were kind of interesting, then people wouldn't have any interest in making essentially playable fan fiction with them. So I think mm-hmm. nailing the characterization is really important to us. Um, and kind of getting those characters... And kind of like a widespread of kind of like character archetypes that people would be interested in kind of writing crazy stories with and then making you play through them. So, Jay, you had spoken to us before we started this call about, you know, how Fire Emblem works on a basis of having character archetypes um, Mm -hmm. that then people can go off of to, you know, uh, put themselves into. At the same time, though, these character archetypes tend to be at least in Fire Emblem in more recent games, a bit one-dimensional. So when you guys are creating your characters, how do you implement both so that these characters are very unique and full of life at the same time a player can look at them and say, oh, this is like me. Oh. Um, that's a good question. I think one thing that I think makes it easier to point out archetypes and stereotypes with Fire Emblem is that it's a very kind of animesque game so a lot of it, it relies on kind of like very common kind of anime archetypes. Um, mm-hmm. I think with the kind of like larger than life cartoony atmosphere we have for Wargroove, we still have a reliance on, okay, you can sum up these characters with a few words. You can say Mercy is kind of like the not overly confident, but kind of hero uh, protagonist of the story. Um, you have Sigrid, who's very self-obsessed and not very nice. 
You've got Caesar, who's just a dog, and it's like you can sum these characters <laughs> he's up. He's not right. just a dog, just, Jay. He's, a great he's dog more guy. than a just His personality a dog. is dog. <laughs> I think you need to be able to quickly summarize a character, but then when you get into that character, there should be lots of things like have that make them appealing about them. I mean, mm. um, Wargroove isn't like, a huge fantasy epic, so we're not telling a big Game of Thrones story where there's lots of complex politics and stuff, but. I think there's hopefully enough for each character where there's different aspects of the personality that will mm. shine. And um, on top of that, you want to have kind of interesting designs. So the, there's a lot of thought put into across the whole team with how to design these characters and um, lots of iteration. Um, and I think we've ended up with a kind of cast that we think kind of spreads across. Like, a, like I don't think there's any two characters who are too similar. And also there's that. hopefully mm-hmm. characters for everyone. Uh, I think one thing I mentioned earlier is that Fire Emblem characters are often tend to be uh, young people with colourful hair and swords, and we only yes. have one character that fits that bill, so hopefully we've got a bit of variety in there. Mm. And I think it'll be cool that you can kind of, the more you play with the campaign, I think that, you know, there's more of the kind of character traits and tidbits and the bit of their story kind of comes out slowly. So I think it's something that we don't want to spoil too much of other than give yeah. like a top line of, okay, what are these kind of people like? So mm. that people can kind of really drill into who they are and their motivations <laughs> more when they play the campaign, which yeah. will be and cool I'm, sh- to I'm see. sure people will take individual characters and make long, elaborate storylines where that character does something crazy and becomes the big hero and so on and so forth. Right, Caesar yeah. will no longer be just a dog. <laughs> Caesar is a family back home. We have like a, a whole life. <laughs> Fifteen pups. Oh, <laughs> so something that really stood out to me that I thought of being connected to how I play Fire Emblem is the fact that one of the taglines of this game is. Wargroove is extremely easy to pick up, with accessibility at the forefront of its design, yet very difficult to master. A problem that I see a lot of times in these strategy games is that it's either one or the other. It's either that the developers are making the game so that new people can get into it, but longtime fans have way too easy of a time and it's not as fun, or, kind of like the Shimagami Tensei games, they're so difficult, you just give up instantly. So <laughs> this is... <laughs> I do, at least. So this is just from watching the gameplay of the streams that you guys have been showing uh, over the course of Wargroup's development. It seems to be a good middle ground, and that is one of the the main points that you're marketing this game for. Yeah, um... Gameplay-wise, like the, the logic of the game is very straightforward. It's very much you move units and you can attack things, plus your commander has a special ability. Um, I guess where the complexity comes in is that there's a whole interlocking kind of like optimization possible there. You can try and run through the maps as quickly as possible, you know, assuming you can beat them to begin with. Um, we're hopefully making like the tutorial kind of very easy to understand and kind of like mm. take you through the game, but not so extreme that half the game feels like tutorial, which is quite easy to fall into. Um, Yes. And I think one thing as well that will help long-term kind of hardcore fans is that people will no doubt make extremely hard campaigns. And I guess the ideal scenario is that there's always going to be content for people of all difficulty levels, like in terms of skill. Um, And infinite content, potentially, depending on 
how much people get to make. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the fun things about being able to share maps and create your own campaigns and stuff is that, you know, we have the potential that the game comes out and, you know, the developers can still produce, you know, challenging maps, or whatever, the community can. It's one of those things we can kind of build on if there's the, you know, the want there that people want to play more. And yeah, I think that the tutorial is something that the team here has been like really focusing on lately and like really polishing up. And I'm not a super hardcore like RTS player. So I feel like in a way it's good to have that mix of people on the team where there's like Jay, Jay and like uh, Finn and some of them, Rodrigo and Steven, these guys are really good at like strategy games. So when they think something's easy and then I play it and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's good to have that balance. Like I, I play a lot of Fire Emblem, but I think that's a complete, it's different kind of, depending on what one you play anyway. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a different skill needed there and being able to complete campaign and being able to complete like challenger maps, I think is a complete different ball game in a way. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, about the whole, like, Fire Emblem thing, I think something I find interesting is that, like, I find Fire Emblem to be a lot more complicated than Advance Wars. Like, I think there's way more stuff. Uh, obviously, I think well, the big difference is that Fire Emblem's an RPG, so it has, like, the leveling and the whatever and all of that. And then Advance Wars, everything's just kind of stationary. But, um, hmm. I, I find that even though Fire Emblem is a lot more complicated than Advance Wars, I've had a lot more trouble playing Advance Wars games because I think and I think it has to do with the slim, the simplicity which allows for creativity like uh, and it, it can kind of do some crazy things. Yeah, I I've guess always found that to be interesting. In terms of design, Advance Wars maps are very there is an optimal solution to beat this map and if you don't figure it out you'll never have it. Yeah. Whilst Fire Emblem I guess would be it's safer to say it's more about it presents an obstacle and it's open-ended how you approach it because you class and kind of pick your roster of like heroes yourself. Mm-hmm. You're the one like like choosing who does what and who's arranged and who's healing and so on. So you're setting up like a kind of like a perfect team for overcoming challenges and the game will just present you with different challenges mm-hmm. for that team. Whilst Advanced Wars, I guess, it's very much if you can't figure out the intended way to beat a map, yeah. then you might just not be able to beat it. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I, I, I've had the same experience. I've definitely hit roadblocks in Advance Wars, whilst Fire Emblem I've never really had too much of a problem with. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately, I guess because it's an RPG, you can fairly easily brute force a lot of it if yep. you're willing to put the time in. Well, that probably applies more to the more recent accessible games. I was going to say playing ones. some of the. Oh, I'm going to completely forget what it's called now. The one that took out all the dating elements. Anyone? Uh, Came on 3DS. Echoes. Echoes. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Like that's mm-hmm. a complete different. Is that much harder? I found it harder. I don't know if that's <laughs> the intention, but that it felt like it was much more stripped back and focused on the core like gameplay rather than yeah, the yes, fluff. Definitely did. The fluff that I love. About it's the fluff I love. I did, I did have a, like a kind of like a chart for the best optimal couples. Oh my god, me too. Like, <laughs> oh my god. Got really into that one. Yeah, I love it when you play games though, and you're so into them that you can make. Like you hand draw out like a chart or a map or something just to get the <laughs> optimal way. It shows when you're like really into it. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that when I play Wargroove, I'm going to be doing that when I'm creating my own little campaigns and all of that. I already have some some ships laid out. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. that's so, I think that's what we're aiming for. You know, set some of those up early, but you know, let the community like decide yeah there's better been some fun maps which we've kind of 
made in-house and then decided might not be best going into the game like joke ones in the shape of animals or whatever <laughs> but, uh, you know things that you just have an idea in your head and, and that's the cool thing is that even stuff which we think is not great for campaign it's something you can still as a person release anyway and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and share with everybody so yeah there's so much opportunity i think that when it comes to these strategy games there's only so much you can do as far as the player playing the game. So for example, Fire Emblem, you play through the main story, you play through the DLC, and then what? You know, you can try yeah. to play it again on a harder difficulty, which I'll do, but I don't find it as fun as it should be. Mm. Um, so what's great about Wargroove is that it is potentially endless. The most recent game that that allowed me to do that was Mario Maker and I played that game for so many hours than I more than I should have you know that's just an example of how far it can take you yeah I I think what's interesting as well is pairing that kind of Mario Maker infinite shared content with people writing there aren't many many games that like within the game encourage you to like write and create yeah. things with this cast with the assets they give you um, I don't know I really I think we've looked this up I like, couldn't find really any games that have that especially not part of like the main mm. kind of like especially like on consoles especially yeah unless like RPG Maker counts as a game I can't think <laughs> of anything apparently there was a version on, on, of RPG Maker on like PlayStation 1 and it took you oh, like really? half an hour to build the game like the That's actual really like, funny. game to create what? <laughs> yeah that sounds amazing uh. Yeah, that, that bit really, I think, appeals to me as a consumer, like from coming to Chucklefish, having heard of the game, but obviously not working with them. Like, I love writing, but no way am I ever good enough to be a games writer. So the idea that I can kind of jump in and write my own story and have all the dogs I want. Is... <laughs> <laughs> you can make your ships canon. Yes, I can make all my ship canon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's that's a really fun part of it that's not as... I'm just kind of excited to see how it goes because, like, again, if no one's done this before, no one knows how it's going to go. Mm. That's quite compelling as like a mm -hmm. game developer. Just like, what's going to happen? Mm. For better or for worse, you know. You're kind of like handing over your baby to let people just do what they want with it, which is kind <laughs> of handing scary. Handing over your baby to strangers, <laughs> and they can write and do whatever they want, yeah. and they can post online the pictures of them oh, and the God. baby. <laughs> oh, boy. This is taking a dark turn. Yeah, what have we done? <laughs> You know, um, there's various different opinions on letting people do what they want with your characters. You know, um, some people, going back to, to Fire Emblem, within the community, many people feel that uh, the idea of letting your your character marry other characters and pairing them off, they say, oh, you know, that takes away from the seriousness of the game. Mm. It's ruining the game. And uh, it makes me happy that you guys are totally all for it because personally, I am too. And I think <laughs> it adds a lot to the game. Um, was that something you guys thought about? Like, oh, you know, what What if things get ruined? What if people make some really bad headcanons and things go <laughs> off the rails? And... Um... I mean, you already had that with Starbound, didn't you, really? Like, not it going off the rails, but letting people mod it. Oh, yeah. Starbound has like, a lot of crazy mods and kind of um, custom... Kind of people make their own, like, alien races and you can populate mm -hmm. the world with them and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. that kind of 
letting people get involved. I think people like really like it that people get attached to it in a way that they would. It's not they don't just see it as like something they're playing. There's something they're involved with. They're, mm. they're part of it as well. I think it means it makes it a more meaningful experience overall to them. I think that's kind of what we're all about at Chucklefish, really. Like when we're planning yeah. stuff, we we <laughs> like to think about how we can you know, involve the community and do things that let them kind of get involved in our games at a kind of deeper level because that's what you guys started with at the foundation of Starbound. And I think that was something that when Wargrove started talking about, correct me if I'm just making this all up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there at the time. But like, you know, I from what I've seen, it was a real driving force in design of like, okay, we've got this game, we really like this concept, how can the community like add to it and how can gamers interact with it at a deeper level? I know there's a big divide in the Fire Emblem community about that because, you know, we, we see it as, as fans too. <laughs> oh yeah. But I think that's just, it's, from the sounds of it, it seems more of like an age thing of when you started playing Fire Emblem, how you kind of feel about that. Yeah. Every um, game series yeah. peaked whenever you were 11. Exactly. <laughs> Which is why Wind Waker is the best Zelda game whoa, and I'm not here otherwise. <laughs> Well, I don't know about that. Oh. I agree not. with you, Jay. <laughs> no! <laughs> it was very funny when you were talking about, like, oh, like, letting people have control, like, with your with your game and all of that, with this creation stuff, because I just remember back in, like, I don't know, when Brawl came out, and um, oh, me and all my friends had Brawls, and it was the first time Smash ever had the stage uh, creator and we would just spell out bad words <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like like you know like that's like <laughs> just an example of that kind of thing uh, one thing that I think separates it I used to play um, did you play time splitters on no I haven't the, the one with the guns yeah yeah it's yeah. the uh, FPS game and, or like I think the better example might be Halo Reach have a okay. really good um, character map creation and you could basically make crazy maps and so on and so forth. But ultimately, when games give you kind of like a set asset pool to make these maps with, they never end up as good as the actual maps in the game because the brawl custom maps that you made will be made out of huge like floating bricks. Yeah, it was pretty and then bad. Going from that to I mean, it was, it's a really cool feature. But then going from that to seeing like an extremely beautiful rendered high roll landscape. It doesn't quite feel the same, um, but yeah. with Wargroove, everything we're, we're making in the game with our own custom campaign stuff, so everyone has access to everything. Yeah. So the bar is as high, or potentially higher, I shouldn't say that, as <laughs> the content that we're making ourselves. Mm. Yeah, because it uses the same editor, that, yeah. so it's the exact same one that we make our maps and mm-hmm. campaigns yeah, for, yeah. it's the same that we're shipping with all platforms. So players have like the full potential of asset access and kind of like creation customizability that we have ourselves so there is nothing kind of held back in terms of like features right so i think that's gonna be interesting to see oh yeah like ultimately even mario maker will give you like a set pool of things and won't give you access to things that would make a much more complex mario game that you probably see in something like super mario bros u for example mm-hmm. the benefit of the simplicity of wargroove is that you can make relatively simple tools that are the full breadth of the game. Something like a Fire Emblem maker would be extremely <laughs> hard because you'd be like, hey guys, here's like a here's like a graph for charting like the progression of your stats if you pick this character with this class and stuff like that. It's crazy. It's really Ugh. getting into like crazy maths. No one's going to do it. Um, but now I want it. 
I kind of do want it as well. I kind of want to like get right into those like. Uh, I say charts. I want it, and then we'll get it, and we'll be like, "What is this?" I can <laughs> finally is... fulfill oh, my dream and make like... a worse version of Fire Emblem that people can play. Yeah. <laughs> I especially like the secret path option that's in the uh, the map creator because that's something I have never even thought about. I always thought. Oh, you know, if you want to do things like that, you have to be making your own game. You have to be coding. <laughs> That's such a cool feature, and it's going to open up so many different possibilities for people. Yeah, I mean, like, so our own campaign is not going to be extremely complex and filled with crazy, like, branching storylines and paths because we're keeping it simple and accessible. But the potential there is, you know, you can do something in a map that will trigger a flag, and that flag will set off a cutscene that will trigger something else and you can end up with some crazy branching stuff if you so please and i think that's one of the interesting things is that if people will go to town on stuff that we're not using ourselves but give them access to yeah and especially with like fantasy games you can do like with branching storylines and things if you're making a much more serious story i'm sure you can do some interesting things there so obviously jay you are um, an artist as well as a developer for Wargroove. Um, mm-hmm. You also worked on Starbound, so uh, we've got some some secret characters in there. But um, you've helped with the creation of various different characters in the game. Um, which one out of the many that you can choose from is your favorite, be it design, be it personality, be it a special memory attached to the creation of the <laughs> character? I think my favorite character is Ragnar. For context, uh, one of the factions of the game is uh, the Falheim Legion, who are kind of like this kind of Nordic-inspired bunch of undead. So all their soldiers are skeletons. You've probably seen them in the, the earliest trailers. Oh, right. Yeah. That's where Sigurd's from, too. Yeah, Sigurd's um, the third commander in uh, Falheim. But the second commander, uh, Ragnar, is, uh, she has a very fun personality. She's kind of like a tantruming teenager who is... <laughs> Her backstory is that she's been stitched together by various kind of fallen warriors to make the ultimate warrior, but she just hasn't got the right temperament for it. So she acts like a bratty teen. And um, she's really good fun to write. Uh, she has some kind of fun voice lines and some uh, fun story beats. So um, I think she's the most entertaining to me. Huh. And she's one of the earliest characters we did as well. So a lot of, a lot of uh, nostalgia for the early days there. Do you have a favorite? I was just trying to think because um, when I when I started, they were trying to think of a name for uh, Koji's puppet, and I've complete and I helped name him, and I've now completely forgotten his name. Tenko. I ten I keep writing Tenchi, and I was like, who's Tenchi? Like the anime? <laughs> yeah, that's and that's all the anime just kept coming up when I was googling it. I was like, this isn't right. Tenko, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the the proper answer is. Um, yeah, when I when I started, the the guys were trying to come up with some names for locations and places, and I, I guess it was the first time I actually got involved in the development in some really weird kind of loose right way. Is that they were like, uh-huh. Katie kind of is like Japanese stuff. What would you <laughs> what would you call the uh, the pup like Cody's puppet? And I was looking up a kind of like fox spirits and you know those kind of like yokai elements and some way we could kind of tie in heaven sun kind of is japanese elements into the game um mm. and i suggested tenko as the puppet and i never thought it actually would get used yeah. and i think it has it's and if it gets cut i'll be really sad it's, really good, <laughs> it's in there it's it's 
No turning back now. Because he's Tenko is like um I I might have misremembered this, but he's he's like a god level um fox in in actual Japanese like. I was gonna say law, but that's Myth- that's, that's right mythology. mythology. There we go. I was going law. It's not a bit, Japan is not one video game. <laughs> <laughs> Though some people but, think it is, and we want exactly. to steer them away from that. Exactly. <laughs> but so yeah, that was um, and Koji is a very, really sweet character too. I think that the animations are beautiful. Um, just seeing like the kind of puppet come to life is from Tenko is really cool. So. <laughs> And obviously Caesar. Caesar is everyone's favorite character, I think. Of course. You might yes. say it's Ragnar, but it's really Caesar. I think I'm really, I'm really interested to try and poll everyone and see what the favorites are. Mm. You know, after lunch. That'd be interesting. We'll yeah. have to do that. Yes, definitely. That'd be fun to do. It was crazy seeing the reception for Caesar after we announced him. It went exactly as planned. <laughs> we were like, we're going to have a dog because hopefully everyone's going to freak out that there's a big playable dog. And they did. Yeah, I, it was fun because we uh, were trying to think of funny ways of like announcing it, and uh, we have a we have a couple of office dogs actually, um, but one of them is Yorick. Um, he's a big fluffy dog. It's Abby's dog, and um, we we especially ordered this tiny um, helmet from Amazon. It's like <laughs> like dress up helmet. Um, I think it's like a kids one, and it arrived in the post, and we were like, oh god, this looks awful, and. We had to try and convince poor Yorick to keep it on his head long enough to take a picture. And it's, it's, it's not a, it's the only picture, the one I posted in the end on Twitter is the only one where he was kind of sitting still enough for long enough wearing it. And it was just, we kind of teased it by putting out a picture of this, of her dog wearing this hat. And it was just so like, what are you doing? I, it was the moment where I sat there thinking, is this my job now? I'm taking pictures of a dog, <laughs> like in a party hat. Professional <laughs> dog wrangler. That's yes. true, in your job description. No, exactly. That's marketing. I saw that photo and I liked it. Yeah. It I, for I me. liked it too. Well, there we go. It was worth it all. Thank you. <laughs> They'll never let me handle the budget ever again. <laughs> but yeah, as far as... um. Koji goes. I was taking a look at all of the characters and writing down my favorites, and uh, Koji is one of my favorites as well because I love characters that deal with creepy entities like a puppet that's (laughs) spooky, or you know, they have a doll or something like that. Mm. Um, But Koji is just so cute and innocent. Does he have any? He's just a little boy, a little man <laughs> with his big puppet. Does he's Koji a man have of war, any... though? <laughs> yeah. Does he have any dark intentions behind that sweet face? No, he's he's a complete cinnamon roll. Um, oh, good. He gets way in over his head because he's quite confident in his abilities on account of giant, making a giant wooden like war mech. But he's still like a little kid, essentially. So he kind of ends up in sticky situations as a consequence. It's funny that you oh. called it a mech, because now I didn't really think of it like that, but this is a way to sneak in a mech into a fantasy game. <laughs> a giant puppet. Finally. <laughs> so I think that we should get in as many as we can of the listener questions, just because okay. we promised it to those people on of Twitter. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Orange Kyle on Twitter asked, Will the dialogue be more serious like Fire Emblem or silly like Advance Wars? Either one is enjoyable for me, I'm just curious. That's a good question, and I think it depends on which Advance Wars and which Fire Emblem you're asking about. <laughs> that's very true. That's ex- that's very, very true. I think it definitely goes into some kind of serious uh, fantasy adventure stuff. Mm. 
but then I think it's also definitely has kind of like humorous elements as well so I think somewhere in between I think they're serious themes but sometimes they're portrayed in a more light-hearted way yeah I think so it's not all doom and gloom and war (laughs) yeah it goes up and down I think that's fair to say yeah because I just I remember that one of the things that Advanced Wars kind of reminded me of is like a kid playing with um like little army men action figures like the video game that's what that reminded me of because it's very like you kind of scratch out uh days of ruin <laughs> but uh yeah. it, it, the um actually i like that game though but you know it's like all the other games kind of the tone of that it's very just light and fun and goofy i think there's definitely some stakes um i don't think it'll get too serious and too melodramatic i'm thinking of like fire emblem conquest mm. where it was, there was a lot of like melodramatic <laughs> yeah. sadness and seriousness. I don't think it goes quite that far. Um, I think there's ups and downs. I think people will kind of hopefully appreciate kind of all ends of the kind of serious mm. spectrum involved. I got confused when you called it Conquest then because I just assumed everyone would buy Birthright. So I was just... Conquest was <laughs> a better game. <laughs> Conquest, yeah, Conquest was actually, that was my game. I got that one first. Katie, I'm how with could, you. How could you look I at that cover art? Exactly, and choose any other option. Uh, well, I just got I got Birthright and just got the DLC, so I didn't even see the cover art. I mean... <laughs> you guys are awful. Well, in, I, just, I, just, I just did it... Well, no, it's because I just thought about it in a moral way, because actually Conquest is, like, one of my least favorite games, but I still bought it first, because why would you ever leave the family that raised you for some strangers who say that you're a real family? That's always been my thing. I just, I'm just remembering that trailer where, oh my god, I can't remember her name now, but the slightly more voluptuous character comes in, it's like, would you side with, with... The kingdom of, I'm going to say Nor or whatever. Nor? Is yeah. that Nor? Nor yeah, so you know. And I saw her and I was like, this is how you're pulling people in to conquest? I refuse <laughs> to be bought in with that. I think it's very So, I, so no, I would not side with... The thing is that I think they were trying to set up like a both sides in the right thing. Yeah. Then they have one which is like the hero faction and one which is like... They're all wearing black and are goths. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was like very overt, wasn't it? In a way, and I yeah. was totally pulled in and by the hero. Look. But then you still play as it's a hero. It's terrible. So you, you play as a hero who who is very sad that they have to be hanging out with the villains. I guess. Mm. Oh, is it Ryoma? Is he the? Ryoma the guy from a. Uh, Hashido. Hashido. Yes. Yeah. Like, I husband. saw him and I was like, yes, he has to be mine. Like, he has an electric sword. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. I'm so glad you're with me on this. Like, <laughs> yes. No, that's literally, I feel like I'm talking to two Claires right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Katie, we're funny. going to be good friends and we'll share Ryoma. I'm- I'm so yeah. pleased. So I, I didn't like it either very much. I was big on Awakening a lot, though. I really liked Awakening. It has time travel, and that's definitely, like, my thing. That's always fun. What is? I know this is meant to be a podcast about Wargroove, but what's your guys' favorite Fire Emblem game then? Well, My... <laughs> you can you can answer. Yes. Okay, um, it changes all the time for me. Uh, I used to say Awakening because it was my first one. Um, and I can hear all of the people in the comments going, oh, you only like Awakening because it was one of the new modern ones. I know that. <laughs> I'm aware of that. Um, Awakening, for me, it was my favorite for a while, up until recently, where it became Echoes. The mm. reason why, Awakening is still very special to me in my heart, but I realized after some reflection that 
the reason why I liked it so much was because I played Awakening at a time in my life where I was going through changes in my life, I was kind of lonely, so I put myself into the game, I became very, very invested in the characters, and that's also the same time when I got into cosplay, and I got into going to conventions and being in the fandom. Um, so when I revisit it now, I kind of realize that a lot of what I loved about it so much had to do with where I was in my life at that point and my emotions that I put into the game, which I think happens for a lot of games, but when I revisited it at a later date, I found that I didn't like it as much as I did. Um, so my current favorite is Echoes because it's the one that encapsulates where... Is that a word? It's the one... <laughs> It's the one that uh, captures where I am in my life at this point. The one that I've now connected to over the past year or so. I feel like you've just kind of told my own history back to me. It's really weird. <laughs> I feel exactly the same about it. Oh my we're like, gosh. we're so connected. <laughs> <laughs> we're sisters. We just don't know it yet. <laughs> but no, I think I think you're right. Like I feel like favorite games don't always have to be the best game. They're just what the game isn't, like, that the you best connect game? with. You can't objectively measure anything. Most of the games that I love and would recommend to everybody mm. are probably considered not good games. Like whenever I, everyone says like, "Oh, what games do you love?" and I try and recommend them like No More Heroes and like Deadly Premonition, like they're not you know ten out of ten games, but they're the games which I connected with as you know. They're your 10 out of 10 games. Exactly, it's and fair. they're the ones you have an emotional tie to. So I think any... You don't have to sound like a so core and like all of the hardcore strategy games and stuff. You can connect with Awakening and that's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean like Fire Emblem 7 has like a grand kind of like like 80s kind of fantasy venture and stuff, but then Awakening oh, yeah. has dating so it's mm. cool and <laughs> so, you know. time travel and like future children so I don't even care it's like Terminator with swords it's my favourite <laughs> no, what about yours Chris? like the uh, the T-82 coming through in the Marvel <laughs> universe just like Everyone has to. F- so um, anyway, sorry, that's a a dumb tangent. Um, I'll read that fan fiction later. <laughs> uh, my favorite is Echoes too. Um, it's kind of. I think it's kind of funny uh, that I don't know that we kind of have the same answer, but it's just like it. Inca- it has everything. So like my relationship with Fire Emblem is I started with Awakening as well, and then. I, like, I, what was even my, I don't even remember the order I played the games in, but, like, Awakening was my favorite, and I fell in love, and then I played, I think, like, Shadow Dragon, and then I played Fates, and then I played uh, a lot of the other old ones, and so I sort of, like, retroactively, like, it's, like, I don't know, I kind of retroactively fell in love with the older games of the series. Hmm. I found, but yet I still had this really big emotional connection with Awakening, because it was the first one I ever played. It introduced me to the series, and I love a lot of the characters and so much about it. And so I felt like Awakening was just this perfect, sorry, I felt like Echoes was this perfect sort of mixture of what made the old game so interesting and good and what made the new game so interesting and good. When it came with just really, when it came to just, I don't know, a lot of the the character sort of interactions and the character design, I just felt like it took this great middle ground in between being a more serious uh fantasy story kind of thing and being sort of anime-y because I love anime but I feel like fates took too many steps towards anime <laughs> in a way <laughs> to, yeah, towards a lot, a lot people, of 
towards a lot of its cliches and a lot of its sort of like i think about like a lot of the character design i i hated in fates and stuff like that but i just like i like how most of the girls are wearing regular clothes (laughs) that's just it's just stuff like that but (laughs) i I think it's kind of a silly thing like that's not like why i love the game but it's just like Mm. a lot of that kind of stuff adds up and I, i really appreciate it and a lot of people say it's not fun. I think it's fun. I don't know. Hmm. What I'm getting is that I probably should have played Echoes. I you have it. I haven't should. finished it. Really? Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. it was coming out around the time that I was trying to phase out the 3DS, <laughs> which I think a lot of people who had a 3DS and have a Switch now yeah, are feeling. Yeah, I know what you mean. Because it was like, I forgot when exactly it was announced, but it was around, like, you know, the time of the Switch yeah. hype. Like, that initial hype. So it was just like... Why do I care about this 3DS game coming out? I mean, I understand why they produce games for it still. Honestly, it's it's still a more commonly owned console. But mm-hmm. you know, for us, a few early adopters of the Switch, I'm sitting there mm-hmm. with like, I really want something that kind of fills that void. But then we've got a what's it called? The new one coming out. Is it three houses? Three, three houses. houses yeah. That's correct. Um, coming out in the springs. So mm. That will be cool. I'll yeah. be playing that when that comes out. And I think that that will even more so be a combination of the new and the old and the Final Fantasy. Um, <laughs> we'll have to see. Yeah, um, we talked about it in our episode, kind of going over it, but it's like, it seems like it's taken a lot of cues from a lot of the modern RPGs instead of, because Fire Emblem's kind of been doing its own weird thing for a while, but now it, yeah. it, it's kind of, it just, just from that small taste we've gotten, it seems like they've sort of taken a lot from a lot of other modern JRPGs. It does seem very different. I mean, I haven't seen too much on it, but um, I'm really interested to see kind of what remains and what changes. I mean, aesthetically, it looks very different, especially considering how similar the, uh, both Fates and Awakening were. So they've taken quite an interesting step, I think. Oh, yeah. So... Okay, we totally I'm really, <laughs> we totally went off of the topic of the viewer questions. We might want to get back into that. That's yeah, okay. I like talking about Fire Emblem. Who cares? <laughs> Let's get back into the, uh, welcome to the Fire Emblem husband chat. Let's talk. Let's rate yes. all the boys. Let's get back in. Let's see. So what made me really happy about the questions that we got from Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, etc. is that everyone was really happy that the game was just being made. You know, I think <laughs> that Chucklefish is kind of a brand that just vibe, it gives out good vibes, you know? So... Everyone is just excited that you guys are creating more things, you know, um, and everybody's looking forward to this. So a lot of the questions have end lines like, I love them and their team. Can I hug you for making an amazing game? We're so excited. It makes me happy to read. Oh, that's pretty nice. Well, I think the last thing we just, uh, we talked about before we went off on that tangent was, um... We were talking about the story, and so I think this next question sort of goes into that, which is by Nizero on Twitter, who's a cool guy, friend of the show. How long will the game be, and can I... This is the one that said, can I hug you for making an amazing game? <laughs> so, like, um, I, I guess he's referring to the... Obviously, it could be endless, but I think he's referring to the main campaign. That's a good question, and I feel like I... I, know, I feel bad because I don't think I have a good answer for that. Hmm. I think it would be considerable <laughs> I'm trying I to think what's like publicly revealed and what's not uh sure yeah if you can't answer a question that's fine mm, yeah I don't I don't know if we've um gone into details about like campaign no, we haven't really. or whatever um, we've kind of just 
because we, we've kind of still been finalizing it ourselves. Yeah, it's a game in development, so <laughs> I understand. I mean, I think the campaign is definitely something that is a considerable like main story to it. I don't think we can kind of estimate an exact length right now, or yep. ca- can kind of confirm how long it is um, without getting told off. Um, <laughs> but I think the the kind of giveaway of it is that the whole aim of the kind of campaign cutscene editor and the map editor is that it doesn't have to end there and there is the opportunity for kind of future stuff maybe even from in-house here if there's the desire for more like content we're not going to say no if you know people want to have more then maybe that's something we can do more of in the future and equally you know community driven extensions to whatever the story might be like it doesn't have to finish there's there's always more (laughs) (laughs) um so I'm sorry I can't answer that question very well, but yes, we would love a digital <laughs> would love a digital hug. I think that's the main Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They accept the hug. That's what's important. Thank you for the hug. <laughs> okay, and I think what you just said is very interesting because uh another person on um Reddit, uh Gang I don't even know how to pronounce this name. Ganrock. Ganrock asked about if there's any plans for DLC. We don't have like a confirmation, like a plan or anything yet. It's not something that's like set in stone. Yeah, yeah. it's something we're definitely open to. It's just, um, yeah, it's something that we'd be interested in. I mean, in. we definitely just simply are right now just finishing the main mm-hmm. game and focusing on that. Um, I, I guess that. future plans will rely on like a lot of different things. And it's also depending on how the game is received and so forth. Yep. It's definitely something we're open to. Oh, I okay. think it's something the team would, would love to do. If, I'm sure. If there's the kind of desire for it out there. Yeah. It seems like. Um, as far as DLC goes, that's a factor that's decided depending on how well the the core game itself sells and then it's created later, am I right? Um, I think it would typically depend on kind of what level you're dealing with. Like a lot of um, AAA games mm. will budget that early on, so a lot of DLC is kind of like decided well ahead of time and often that's why yeah, you end and up like, yeah, you then. buy the season pass when you buy the game and all that yeah and those things are often budgeted separately alongside the regular development of the game um, mm. on our front it's it really is just a case of we're going to finish this first and see how things go yeah <laughs> I mean I, I appreciate that I think one of my least favorite things is when there's like a lot of DLC ready from the get go you know yeah <laughs> and, like, it, it, it makes you feel like questionable don't you like whether or not it was cut yeah and, it's like, tricky exactly. to sell it off because yeah. often it, it isn't cut often these things mm. are like budgeted differently but the optics from the consumer's point of view is they don't get like an insight into the production yes. of the game they just see that they've bought the game and other things that they don't have that they could have yes. from their point of view Definitely. Mm. so i can understand how it happens i also can understand why people mm. would not be happy with it it's funny when we can kind of be, sit on like both sides of the fence about it. Like we can kind of have an insight into you know why these things might happen, but at the same time we're still fat fans, we're still consumers and gamers, so we still kind of have that well, why isn't in the game <laughs> mentality that people do with you know people might do with us. So mm-hmm. it's kind of fun to have it from both sides. Yeah, I mean it's good to have that sort of industry insight because I think yeah, it's really easy to fall into a trap of like us people. Talk, talking about me and Claire, who like haven't made a game, don't know anything about the industry, going, uh, why are game developers doing this? Or uh, why are they doing that? You know, because like we don't know, we don't know what's going on behind the mm. scenes. We don't know how that works. So, I think they're it's people. it's good to Just know like what they're <laughs> what they aren't people. They're 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 monkeys who <laughs> bend to our will and make <laughs> continue. This is very to true. Toiling away in the pixel forges. Yes, yes. So the pixel yeah. forge. 
And, you know, that goes back to the whole idea of the fact that, again, our generation, we're making games for ourselves to play and for people <laughs> like us to play. So when you put it into that kind of context, it's like there's no reason to get upset over a video game because it's just someone just like you who's trying to figure things out. That's okay. Yeah. What? Do you think I mean, people I'm... will do that? Get upset online about video about games? About video games? Do you think so? I mean, <laughs> I've never seen it happen, but it definitely could happen one day. <laughs> I definitely want to finish making Wargroove so I can play Wargroove. Yes. And then play online and then lose against someone and then feel really embarrassed. That's, that's my future. Can't wait. Yeah, we didn't really talk about PvP much, but that's really cool. I, I can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah, which is something that I always wished that Fire Emblem had. They've tried to do multiplayer type things in the past Did and didn't it really work. Ever it was awful. much of a chance with Awakening's spot pass system? So I was playing Awakening when I was in university and it was I was at a university that had gaming courses so a lot of people around the campus would have uh, 3DSs with Fire Emblem and spot pass. So I would go out with my 3DS in my bag to lectures and then mm-hmm. come back and then then my world map was like filled with all these different parties that you can parlay with or beat for experience. And that was a really fun feature, actually. That's so interesting, your different like experience with that as someone in a... I assume you were in a city if it was uni. Um, as small a, town, though. Yeah, as opposed to... I was like probably in the countryside still because I remember my spot pass was always empty. <laughs> <laughs> I, I completely destroyed MeQuest, you know? I was getting like Did so you? many knees. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Complete strangers were helping me fight like little ghosts and stuff. It was fantastic. That was a really great feature, you know? <laughs> Definitely much better than the one that was implemented in Fates, which, in my opinion, I, I could never do. It just. What was the Fates feature? So the idea was that you had that my castle that you could oh. put buildings in certain yes. places, and then when you uh, would, you know, walk past someone, you got their castle, and they could choose what units they wanted to use to defend their castle and whatnot but it never really felt very fulfilling it felt yeah i actually did play this i did remember but i did not remember because it was not great um there also was just like a regular pvp system in fates but it's just that well first of all like it i don't know why specifically but like everyone had hacked characters (laughs) and like so everyone had like these unlimited like godlike skills on all their characters and like and so it was the, the way it would work you just like you know you take a turn they take a turn you take a turn they take a turn and um like there was never a reason for you to ever get into the enemy range of a character like cuz like when you fight an AI like they're just mm. dumb and they'll just come at you but when you fight another person you just keep on dancing in a circle cuz you never <laughs> want to be the first one hit cuz fire emblem it just isn't con- like it I don't I don't think fire emblem works well and I think it's probably the RPG aspects I don't think it works well just for players there's no, versus players. There's no strategy in, in as much as there is who's been playing the longest and has the longest most yeah. upgrades essentially or if it was um Awakening, it was who's managed to like get the super team where everyone has Gale Force, which <laughs> yeah. I did, and it was a great time. Gale Force. So, hey, Fire Emblem fans. If you are frustrated with the multiplayer or attempts at multiplayer, you should check out Wargroove. Hey, Jay, what's the PvP like in Wargroove? Hey, Claire, the PvP in Wargroove <laughs> is like pretty good. Um, I mean, 
Wargroove is not like a cover. Yeah, yeah, that's, yes. that's the, it's uh, pretty good. It's pretty good. Says one of the developers. Um, <laughs> it's the game is not stat based, so nothing. There's no leveling. It's entirely strategic. It's almost like an extremely elaborate version of chess with lots of different chess boards, which actually sounds worse when I say it out loud. Um, mm. But. You made it sound so thrilling. Yeah, so thrilling. It's like really complicated chess. No, I think it's much more about the positioning of units and like kind of making calls and kind of bluffing and yeah. kind of like predicting the kind of calls that your opponent's going to make and taking advantage of that. So there's a lot more of kind of like the human interaction of like mm. you're both te- you're both on the same field for the most part. Your maps are kind of like symmetrical. Um, the thing that differs that differs between you and your opponent is which character you picked so which groove you went with which kind of alters the strategy you go with um and what units you decide to make yeah yeah i mean yeah. that kind of like reflect your strategy can be reflected in the character you chose but there's a lot of mind games and it can also kind of make assumptions based on what your opponent does where you can quickly pull a match back and win last second that's really exciting mm. there's never a sense of oh i've definitely lost here out and i can definitely not win this back because um, especially with the commanders, um, when your commander unit on the field dies, your entire army is lost. So you can really kind of pull some kind of like hijinks to win yes. at the last second, and it can be really exciting to see it kind of pull off. Kind of like distracting your opponents, like kind of hone okay. in on your uh, commander, but maybe yeah. they've left their like you know their base. This has happened a bunch. Yeah, yeah. People focus so hard on one particular outcome that. They've kind of closed off to another one, and there's another victory condition, and then they suddenly lose out. So it's much more about the tactics and mind games and kind of like judging your opponent's uh, strategy than it is about leveling, because there is no leveling. I felt like when Jay and I played it before, he uh, distracted me from the fact that, well, maybe it's just me not being very, I don't know, observant, but he'd (laughs) he'd created a dragon and I had not noticed at all. (laughs) And that was like the biggest flip for me, being suddenly seeing it and being like, Oh my! This, we did, we I'm did going to sort this out. play on stream now, so I think yeah. we were slightly distracted. We so. were super distracted. <laughs> mm, I didn't play great. It's that. okay. Yes. <laughs> Can you have um really specific and dumb question with the dragons? Can they be different colors? Yeah, you can. Well, um, you can choose your color, like if, like in like a fighting game. So you can choose what color your um whole entire army oh, is. Oh, you have like skins. Yes. Yeah, yeah, well, it's just a kind of like a palette swap, so... Um, you can have a pink dragon, right? You can have pink dragons, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, thank God. Have pink skeletons. Yes. <laughs> oh, good. That's what I'm going to go with. I think yeah. Sigrid will look good in pink. I'm excited. <laughs> we have people who have asked us to take screenshots of her in pink already on our Discord. <laughs> <laughs> have we fulfilled that wish? Because if not... I think people have seen pink Sigrid. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm pretty sure on, on the Twitter there's um, a, a gif of Sigrid and all of her different colors. And yeah, that sounds about right. should be pink on there. Okay, well, that's <laughs> excellent. I know what I'm going to be doing. That's my plan. Uh, <laughs> I am. Is, that's it. Yep, that's the show. <laughs> I'm very, very excited to be playing the PvP on the Switch on the go. You know, when Chris yeah. and I are on our way to a convention, we can be playing that on the bus and. I'm also excited because just the general vibe of the game, the way the graphics are, you know, easy on the eyes, um, and the strategy involved, because you can make your own maps, um, Chris has a younger sister, and I think that it would be wonderful for us to make maps for her to kind of get her started on strategy games in a, oh, in a easy-to-use way. 
she'll probably love using all of the dogs. Oh, <laughs> Nina's going to be so happy. And so the dogs, like, they run away now, right? We haven't implemented that yet, but that's something we're definitely interested in. I don't think we can okay. hit release and have the dogs all die because everyone gets so sad. I yeah, still it's like a depressing. Hot, it's a hot debate, isn't it, in the it's, office still? Yeah, I don't want to confirm one way or the other, but I, I think, think it's, it's definitely, still being discussed. Okay, it's okay. On our minds. Yeah. Keep I us mean, updated. <laughs> I feel like if we're gonna have if we're gonna have dogs not dying, what about turtles? Like we can't just be. Oh no! It gets into a whole thing, and then you start thinking, yeah. like, okay, like Kappa, are they considered animals that have to have the right to run away and not die? <laughs> the, well, Kappa right to run away. the Kappa units in. Well, group are just uh, kind of divers wearing cap suits. So they're men, so they're That's allowed. That's true. Like, humans can die. Humans, <laughs> yeah, no one cares okay about human, human life is worthless. It's all yeah, about yeah. dogs. Absolutely. And as for the Kappa, they eat babies, so, I mean, they can die. It's fine. Oh, they do a lot of, a lot of weird stuff, so. Yeah. Weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, the biggest question that we get from people when any game developer is getting uh, interviewed is just talking a little bit about advice that you could give for a younger person who's looking to get into the game industry and really think about something that is you feel that nobody's ever heard before, something personal to you that um, you feel would help other people. I'm going to look at you because you you actually make games, whereas <laughs> I just talk about them. Um, <laughs> I did a lecture about this actually last year. Um, everyone lives with kind of unique experiences and kind of has their own interesting outlook and perspective and set of interests. And the most interesting thing you can do is make a game that reflects that. It doesn't have to be good, doesn't have to have great art or programming. But if you can just make something on your own or with a friend or so on, that is kind of reflects your personal identity and reflects your passions and things. I think it's the most interesting thing you can do. And I think it's the most valuable thing you can do. Um, practice, uh, just get really involved, make stuff, you know, even if it's not very good. People have like kind of come to us and talked about this in the past and they wouldn't want to show off the small game they made when they were 15 because it's not very good. But I think it shows kind of passion and it shows creativity and it shows that you can make something and then point out the flaws but also you can make something that is kind of like innately, uniquely reflective of who you are. I think that's something you see with kind of like the most interesting indie games that come out, especially especially with small teams. Um, like something like Undertale is a good example of a strange, weird game that is completely reflective of the creator in particular, mm-hmm. and like, like his interests and kind of the things that make the themes that make him interested in games. Um, yeah, just, just make stuff. Make stuff that's cool and then no one else can make, essentially. Um, I think one thing that came up recently is Nintendo um, talked about the hiring process and they talked about not make, not hiring people who are just interested in games because they don't bring anything new. And I think that's valuable advice. Mm. I think if, you're, if your only interest is in games and you make games that only reflect and reference other games, then you're not bringing something unique to any team but if you have in, like interests and kind of like passions um outside of games but also you're interested in games as a medium then that's great how did you get into like games, games making um i kind of like completely fell into this i used to do this as like a hobby like growing up when i was like 10 i used to put together kind of like tiny games and go on with the sprite's resource which is 
an amazing site still to this day mm. um mm-hmm. and kind of like put together like silly games and i just used to do it in my spare time and i never saw it as like a career path because people would often tell you how little money there is and how awful working conditions are in games but i guess around the time i was getting into university the kind of indie game boom kind of kicked off around like 2011-12 minecraft came out a few years before so i happened to be in the right place at the right time i think but that's me and no one else should follow that advice if you're interested in games kind of make stuff until people can't ignore it that's great yeah you know what you were saying the first piece of advice that you gave regarding you know putting what you like about games into your game and it doesn't matter if it's good or not Mm -hmm. that really helps me personally because what I always think about when I'm brainstorming, oh, if I ever made a video game, what would it be about? I always think, I think I want to just make a game and act as if nobody else would ever see it. This is just <laughs> a story I want to tell, and maybe it's just a personal project for me. I think that's the best way of going about it, like putting what you really like, and then when you put it out, I'm sure other people will like it too. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I, think... I feel about my YouTube channel. <laughs> The most interesting indie games that come out to me are the ones that are not playing it safe and someone has just been like, I have to make this game. You know, this is like, it's been stuck in my head for so long. I need to get it out there. And they put it out there and it's, it's, it's super cool. And often it's kind of like like reading writers who don't have editors. You know, it's it's like a, like a real rush of kind of like stream of consciousness. And it's maybe not as like polished or professional as someone, like a game, like a AAA studio might be, but it also means that it can be a little braver and a little more mm-hmm. personal mm-hmm. and not be afraid to go certain places and so on and so forth. Well, now I'm going to start working on my game. Um, <laughs> do it. <laughs> it's going to be a copy of Berserk. It's called Groove War. It's yeah. <laughs> Berserk, but with more dating, I hope. Groove War. Groove I'll be war. pitching it to Chucklefish tomorrow. Maybe he'll hear from me. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yes, do get in touch. <laughs> Um, and Katie, you know, you kind of took a dig at yourself earlier saying, you know, like, I don't make games. I'm just working in games. I think that's still so cool. I've always wanted to do social media for a game or for a modern company like Crunchyroll or something like that. <laughs> so still tell us if you have any advice about getting specifically into the marketing field, into what you were saying you did earlier, planning E3s for uh, PlayStation, all of that. That's so cool to me and I know there's a lot of people who want to do that oh cool well I think when I when I started out I just did um I did kind of games journalism but as a freelance thing like I would write articles and contribute to like Nintendo Life and Push Square and kind of like websites like that and Mm -hmm. I just did that because I liked I loved games I li- I went to like kind of a school where no one else really liked games. It was like an all-girls all school where it was not cool to like anime or games. And I had to yeah. kind of have like an outlet to be nerdy. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just do it online quietly then. And that was, I guess, how I got into it. But I, um, I applied for like, um, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but in the UK, we have to do work experience. Like... Is it 16? I think we have to... 15 to 16? Yeah, we have to go out and get a job placement. And most people uh, at my school went to like a hairdresser or, I don't know, like a local newspaper. And I sat there and I was like, do you know what? I'm going to apply somewhere that will never accept me, but I'll give it a go. And I applied to um, Rising Star Games. They're like a Japanese games publisher who happened to also be only half an hour drive from me. So that was great. 
And I never thought they'd answer back because they were the guys who published Harvest Moon, No More Heroes, those kind of games. Um, and they did, and they got in contact with me and they're like, yeah, come, come work at our studio for a week or whatever <laughs> it was. And they were so good and so lovely and let me just kind of mess about with their social media <laughs> for a week and write stuff. And I did wow. weird, weird things like I wrote the back of the packaging for a few like, uh, few shmups games actually really? <laughs> like, yeah that's very cool and stuff like that and they there was a, a lady who worked there called uh, sarah lewis and she gave me the best piece of advice for getting into the games industry and she was like make a twitter account and just talk to people she was like just insert yourself into conversations <laughs> meet people like because because i didn't really know anyone in the games industry like i'd see all these journalists on twitter whenever and i wouldn't know how to talk to them and i'd want to talk to them but i'd be like oh i don't want to just jump in and be like, oh, hi, here's my opinion. But that's kind of what you have to do. You just have to kind of pretend that you're a hotshot <laughs> just to go for it. Um, so I got a Twitter account. I started chatting with people. And then um, I started writing blogs, had it YouTube, just kind of just got out there. And I think if you want to get into something, which is like, if you want to get into PR, write. If you want to, you know, do events, then why don't you go out there and volunteer at your local expo or anime con or whatever? Like, if whatever you want to do, just just go out there and do it. And I know it's easy to say from like a point of privilege, like that I can go out and volunteer my time for free. But I had a part-time job too. Like I worked, you know, to earn money so that I could do this stuff for free to get to where I needed to be. And it's not the best route for everybody who doesn't have time to do that. But if that meant for me staying up till like two in the morning, making YouTube videos that like 20 people would see, like in order to have a portfolio to show to somebody then I think that's worth it so yeah I just think if you know what you want to do go for it if you don't know what you want to do do everything <laughs> and be armed you know to to go there and just just have a go like I never thought Rising Star would get back to me but they did and that's really cool I would also refute the point that PR does not count as a game developer I think like if no one sees your game, does it exist? I think it's like one of the most important parts of any team is to have someone who is able to get the word out there and kind of like make these things happen, like, you know, convention appearances and stuff. It's a, it's, it's a collaborative effort, yeah. the whole project. Yeah. Even if it didn't... Game development is more than just what goes into the code base and what goes into the assets. It's weird, yeah. isn't it? Like, when, <laughs> when I, uh, like, write... I don't know, applications for something and it comes up saying, you know, what would you describe yourself as? And the option is developer. I'm often like, am I a developer? <laughs> but yeah, I think you're all part of one team. And I think that's anyone from like the person who does the finance to, you know, Absolutely. whatever. We're, we're all developers because we're all in some way shaping this game, whether or not it's us, you know, trying to rename a unit because <laughs> we might not think it's, you know, the best thing to go for. I think that's all has an impact. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. That was That's... my very bad advice. <laughs> no, not that at all. That was like wonderful. I loved mm -hmm. it. That was lovely. And I think that we have a very well-rounded interview here because we have um, two parts of the team, you know? Of course, it would mm -hmm. be one thing if we had two artists, you know, but in this case, we have we have two different sectors that come together, two different opinions that at the same time mesh at, at some points. Um and that really helps people. I think that there's a wide range of jobs available 
in the games industry. A lot of people really only just think about developer, programmer, and artist, but there's so many other ways that you can get into doing what you love. Um, you just kind of have to think outside the box. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the great thing about Chucklefish is that there's so much overlap. Like a lot of people whose full-time job might not be making the game still get to have a, you know, more hands-on impact on the game. I'm thinking like Harriet. Like Harriet is kind of like our um, office manager, I guess, in, in, the, in the studio. But she also does like development side, doesn't she, as well? She does like collision mapping and oh, stuff yeah, like true, that true. too. So I mean, with a small team, we have ambitious projects, lots of people with lots of different hats. I basically end up doing pretty much everything except programming. And so that's fun. Yeah. But I think if you were here and you wanted to do something and wanted to add to the game, like say, I don't know, I wanted to learn pixel art and I was like, please put my rubbish sprite in the game somewhere. They'd probably hide it somewhere just to be polite. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm picturing like a beta Pokemon pixel hiding in oh, the yeah. workroom. <laughs> it's going to be like a really janky chicken, like hidden somewhere. It would definitely be a chicken. Though. Definitely a chicken. Yeah. An Easter egg. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I hope that was helpful advice in a way, though. It definitely was. Thank you. And I think with that, that's the end of the episode. So if you guys would like to remind everyone who you are and what you're up to, and if there's anything else you want to say before we end, we'd love to hear it. So I'm Jay. Uh, I'm an artist, writer, designer at Chucklefish. Um, I work on Woolgroove. And if you like the sound of it, check it out when it comes out. We're working really hard. It'll come out. When it's done. Yes, when it's done. And I am Katie. I am the marketing and community person. And I think you can also find Wargroove on PC, Nintendo Switch, PS4, Xbox One. Have I missed any? No, that sounds good. There we go. I know, it's on the PSP Vita. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you can also find it on the Game Gear and the... Virtual um, Boy. Yes. The Virtual Boy. <laughs> the N-Gage. Oh, looks... Nokia N-Gage. I think it's on the Wonderswan, isn't it too? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, that good. One. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got covered all that. Yeah. And as far as all of the links go for finding Katie and Jay, you'll find them in the description down below um, on all platforms, as well as some links to Wargroove, uh, their development blog, which is really interesting. You should check it out. They're posting music. They're posting little excerpts about characters there. If you want to find out more about the game, I think that's the best place to go. Um, as well as this one interview that Jay is in that I saw on... Um, the press kit so i'm gonna put that in oh, if you gosh. wanted to see more jay <laughs> i'm in something yeah i think it's from e3 uh it was some kind of uh oh i know what it'll be thing yeah I, You're I, on I, the I stage so. it was like the oh, pc oh it was um, the pc, PC gamer, gamer show yes yeah, that was terrifying with doris, yeah? yeah with doris all right guys and that is the end of today's show Thanks so much for sticking with us through the whole way, if you did, because I know it was a bit of a long one, but hopefully no matter what your aspirations are, whether you're looking to eventually make your own game, or you're just a admirer of what Jay and Katie and Chucklefish is doing, hopefully you got some good advice out of this. I definitely know that I did. So thank you very much for listening today. We'll have all of the links down below to Jay and Katie's social media, Chucklefish, the Wargroove blog, 
We would love to hear what you thought about this episode, and also if you're interested in Wargroove. I know I am, and I'm really excited for the release of this game. And also keep in mind, this was our very first industry-type interview. Chris and I were very excited and very proud, and we're so glad that everything went over well. Jay and Katie are super chill. It was a super fun experience. Um, So look forward to more things like this from us. And let us know down below, are there any people that you want us to interview? Maybe we'll have to email them a few times to get them to respond, but that's okay. Voice yeah, actors. We've sent some <laughs> sent some emails out to voice actors to no reply, but uh, yeah. we'll keep trying. We'll, <laughs> we'll work on it. We're getting there. We're going to be pros I mean, one day. Yeah, that's, that's the nature of this sort of thing. It's just kind of up to the will of whoever. Please. <laughs> So yeah, let us know if there's certain people you'd like us to interview. Maybe you happen to be mutuals with them on Twitter and can say, Hey, Claire and Chris are very cool. Come check out their show. Thanks. Okay, see you in the next episode, guys. Bye-bye.